Bible's open there at Acts chapter 11 and uh, we'll be looking also at chapter 13. We're concluding this evening this short series we've had, Love Your Church, and we've been thinking about uh, various great things about being church members. If you have the book, you'll notice that we've looked at seven great things about being church members. The book has eight, and I'm saving uh, the, the eighth uh, thing about being church members. We'll come to that perhaps uh, next year and look at it in more detail. But we finish our series this evening by thinking about sending. Sending. From time to time, a good story ends on a cliffhanger. A book, a TV show, or a movie ends not with the story neatly resolved and concluded, but with the story quite obviously not over yet. Maybe the words come up on the screen, to be continued. Maybe the hero is surrounded by enemies and you wonder how is he or she going to get out of this? And then all of a sudden the credits roll and it's over. Or a huge discovery, discovery is made by the central characters in a book. A discovery that changes the whole direction of the story. And then you turn the page and realise that's the book over. And you're going to have to wait for the author to write the next book to find out how it really ends. Well, the book of Acts finishes on a cliffhanger. Having survived several assassination plots and even a shipwreck at sea, the Apostle Paul is in Rome. He's a prisoner. He's under house arrest. He's waiting to stand trial before Caesar. And the book ends without telling us what happens next. But Acts is not the story of Paul, as important a character as he is. Acts is about the spread of the gospel and the planting of churches. The book of Acts shows us that where the gospel goes, churches are planted. Where the gospel goes, churches are planted. Church planting was the most significant evangelistic strategy of the Apostle Paul and his contemporaries. And the book of Acts finishes in the way it does to emphasise to us that The spread of the gospel and the planting of churches is not about one man, in this case Paul. Paul uh, is a prisoner in Rome, but the gospel is still unbound. Paul actually wrote words to that effect to Timothy towards the end of his life. Again, he was in chains at that time. He says, I am bound, but the gospel is not bound. The, The gospel continued to spread despite Paul's imprisonment. And as the gospel spread, friends, churches were planted. Go back far enough and every local church was planted by someone. We don't really think about that in our part of the world. Most of our church buildings, our buildings are so old, (laughs) very old in some cases. This building is probably one of the younger church buildings in County Down. Some of our congregations have been around for hundreds of years We maybe subconsciously think to ourselves, these churches have just always been here. Friends, every church was planted by someone. This church was really only properly planted and established in the last 30 years or so. Some of you were a part of it. And as much as we might have plenty of churches on our doorstep, there is a case to be made that the Republic of Ireland is actually the least reached English-speaking part Of the world. The main thing to be done about that 
is to be planting churches, to be preaching the gospel and planting churches. In Matthew 28, as we read earlier, we have Jesus' final orders to the church on earth. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Friends, Jesus' command there implies, points to the planting of churches. Baptism is something that happens in the church. People are discipled, taught, instructed in God's word in the church. And so for the great commission to be obeyed and fulfilled, churches need to be planted in all the nations. Established churches need to send people out to plant more churches. The church in Antioch nearly 2,000 years ago is an excellent example of this. Antioch was no sooner planted than it was sending. One writer says Antioch was a launching pad for worldwide mission. It was from Antioch that perhaps the greatest evangelist and church planter of the New Testament, Paul, was sent out along with Barnabas. It was in Antioch that members of the church were first called Christians. The word means little Christs, little imitators, eager followers of Jesus. What made them get that reputation as little Christs? Well, amongst other things, friends, it was a willingness to send out members to plant more churches. So I want to think about three aspects of the church in Antioch this evening, because this was a a sending church. We're thinking about sending. Antioch was a sending church. And so we want to notice three aspects of this church. First of all, uh, notice that the church in Antioch was providentially planted. The church in Antioch was itself providentially planted. God had his purposes in planting a church in Antioch. Antioch was in what is now southeast Turkey. It was uh, part of Syria in its day, but today it's where the, where the city was is southeast Turkey, not far from the Mediterranean coast. It was the third largest city in the whole Roman Empire behind only Alexandria and Rome itself. Over half a million people lived in Antioch at this time. That's a huge number for the ancient world. And it would probably have competed, Antioch would have done for the title of most desirable place or, or most livable city. Sometimes you hear about uh, cities around the world. There, there's still a, a contest of, of sorts today of best place to live 2021. Usually it's somewhere in New Zealand or Australia uh, that gets the title. Antioch would have competed for most livable city in its day. It had a world-class stadium for horse and chariot racing. It was the only city in the ancient world that had street lighting in the centre of the town. It had public baths and two theatres. It was home to people from as far away as Egypt, India, as well as Romans, Persians and Arabs. Perhaps unsurprisingly though, given that so many different people lived in this city, it was known for pretty loose morals. Whatever kind of god or goddess you worshipped, you could probably find a temple for them in Antioch. Like so many of the supposedly great cities of our world today, Antioch was what modern pluralists would call very tolerant. You could worship whoever or whatever you liked in Antioch. 
Interestingly, though, the Jews had a big influence in Antioch. One Jewish historian says that the Jews in that city saw a surprisingly large number of people express an interest in the Jewish religion or even convert to, Ju- to Judaism. So here you have, friends, a, a city bursting with people from all over the world who are open to all kinds of new ideas, some of whom are particularly interested in Judaism. Here's a place where if a church can be planted, the nations can hear the gospel. Indians, Africans, Asians and Europeans, they're, they're all already here. And if they ever go home, they could take the gospel with them. And so in God's providence, friends, Antioch was a wonderful place to plant a church. And that's exactly, of course, why God led these men to plant a church there. John Stott says, no more appropriate place than Antioch could be imagined, either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for worldwide Christian mission. Antioch was planted as a result of the scattering of believers, this great scattering that took place after the death of Stephen. You remember Stephen was the first martyr. He was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7 and 8. And God used the death of Stephen to to sort of jolt the church into life again. Uh, Already in the day of Stephen, the church was beginning to get a bit too comfortable in Jerusalem. Well, comfortable is maybe not the right word because they were facing opposition and persecution. But the church wasn't really moving beyond Jerusalem very quickly, which is what they've been commanded to do. And God used the death of Stephen to prompt the believers to take the gospel beyond Jerusalem properly. And eventually some believers were told from Cyprus and Cyrene arrive in Antioch, verse 20, and they spoke the gospel to the Hellenists. That's just Greek-speaking non-Jews, the Hellenists. Uh, We're told that they spoke to Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Uh, Given that they're from Cyprus and Cyrene, Cyrene was North Africa, Uh, These are most likely Gentile Christians who have heard the gospel from Jewish Christians and they want to then share the gospel with fellow Gentiles in Antioch. And they're not put off by the cosmopolitan glamour of Antioch. They're not intimidated by all the temples and theatres full of idolatry in Antioch. They simply preach the Lord Jesus in Antioch. And that verse, friends, even that simple phrase at the end of verse 20 is telling us that these people showed a particular sensitivity to Antioch when it says they preach the Lord Jesus. Earlier in Acts, when the gospel is preached to the Jews, Peter and Paul talk about Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, because, of course, the Jewish people wanted to know who their Messiah was. They, they would have been mad keen to hear about the fact that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. But now we're in Antioch, where most people don't care about the Jewish Messiah. No no idea that there is a Jewish Messiah. What they care about is which God is best. Out of all these temples and gods and goddesses, who's the best? Who should I be worshipping? And the title Lord puts Jesus above over all these gods and goddesses in Antioch. That word Lord means that Jesus is superior. 
And it's a word the pagans would have understood that meant that he's not a capricious, selfish God like the Greek gods were. He's a God of grace, a God of salvation. And these, as these faithful evangelists whose names we don't even know, as they preach the lordship of Jesus in Antioch, God graciously works. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The Lord is preached and the Lord is believed in by God's grace. This church was providentially planted through the faithful witness of God's people. It was planted in a city that would not only reach the nations, but was already jam-packed full of the nations, if you like. People who could someday take the gospel with them if they left. And it was planted by Christians who proclaimed the gospel in ways that the people could understand. And this is why, friends, we should have a concern for planting churches in cities and towns across this this island. Many of which are quickly becoming much more diverse than they were a generation ago. And are becoming diverse much faster than anybody could have imagined. Uh, Your former pastor, Reverend McCulloch, will tell you that where he's ministering now in East Belfast is a drastically different place from what it was even 15, 20 years ago in terms of the demographics of the people uh, filling up in those communities. In the last 50 or 60 years, uh, the church has tended to retreat from cities because the cities had more crime and immorality and disrespect for the Christian faith friends that's all the more reason for Christians to be going to cities they need the gospel there are people in there's more chance if you're preaching the gospel in cities that you'll be able to reach nations anywhere in the world because people are coming to cities from all the nations of the world only eternity will tell us the impact that our Galway congregation or our Shaftesbury congregation or our Nantes congregation have had with people maybe there for only six months, a year, two years from all kinds of places who have taken the gospel home with them when they've left. This is not to forget about rural communities. There's actually a bit of a resurgence now in in a desire to plant churches in rural communities in parts of Scotland and Ireland as well. But there is a need to reach the cities The Apostle Paul in particular targeted cities for this very reason. And so even if it's not where God sends us personally friends, we need to be praying for our cities and praying for churches in those cities as we were doing even just this evening before our service. Malaga, Nantes, Londonderry, Belfast, Galway, Dublin, Waterford, Cork, that churches that have been planted and churches that will be planted would be used by God in those places to reach the nations. We've been asked to pray about this and think about this by our Irish mission, the Irish section of our mission committee, as I said to you earlier. The origins of the Antioch church also remind us that every Christian is an evangelist, as we were considering this morning. Every Christian has the power and the responsibility To talk about Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Well we don't even know the names of the people who planted the church in Antioch. 
For all we know, they were just ordinary believers. Their willingness to go to that city and preach God's word resulted in the planting of one of the most strategically important churches in early Christianity. Again, it might not be that God is going to send you to preach and plant in a new city. But who is God sending you and I to? Who is it that he does want us to speak to? Where does he want us to go? What might he use us to do? Antioch was a church providentially planted. But then secondly, Antioch was a church that it was good at using their gifts. Good at using their gifts. Verse 21 says, A great number who believed turned to the Lord. Lots of pagans became believers in Antioch. Then look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Jerusalem is still where probably the biggest and most established congregations were at this time. And this is one example in the book of Acts of uh, churches operating both as one church, yet many churches. Presbyterianism, if you want one word to sum it up. Uh, The church in Jerusalem was a church. The church in Samaria was a church. Uh, The congregation in Antioch was a church. But they're also aware that they're part of one wider church. And they're willing to help and serve one another. And so the Jerusalem church, excited and eager to see what's going on in Antioch, they they send Barnabas. It's a a visitation of presbytery, if you like. Uh, Barnabas' real name is Joseph. Barnabas is only his nickname. But his nickname means son of encouragement. Jerusalem sends their best encourager to see what's going on in Antioch. Remember I mentioned last week that encouragement or exhortation is one of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentioned in Romans chapter 12. And Barnabas realizes that the Antioch church, however, is going to need more than just encouragement. Look at verse 24. It says that a great many people were added to the Lord. Lots of people are getting saved in Antioch. And it's actually too many for Barnabas to pastor by himself. So what does he do? Verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught, notice that word, taught a great many people. Converts don't just need to be encouraged. They need to be discipled. They need to be taught God's word so that they will grow in their faith. And Barnabas isn't too proud to admit that the task of teaching these people is too much for him, too much for one man. He loves them too much to act like that. And so he goes out and he gets them the best available teacher that he can think of, Saul. And he brings Saul, knowing that Saul can teach both Jews and Gentiles from the scriptures He brings him to Antioch. And under the ministry of Barnabas and Saul and and no doubt the men who had planted this church to begin with, the Antioch church flourishes to the point where Acts 13 verse 1 tells us that other men join them in leading and teaching the church. 
Now that we're, we're told, this is chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so God so blessed the work in Antioch, friends, that eventually there's this pastoral team of leaders assembled, an experienced, diverse, gifted group of men. Barnabas was originally from Cyprus. Lucius, we're told, was from Cyrene, which is North Africa. Simeon was called Niger, which is the Latin word for black. And so both Simeon and Lucius were likely African men, black men, who were called to become leaders in a church that most likely had a contingent of other African converts as well. Antioch being a very diverse city. Uh, the fourth man, Menaean, we're told that he was in the court of Herod the Tetrarch. The language there literally means that he was fed and nursed and brought up in, uh, alongside Herod. Uh, he, he could well have been a, like a brother to Herod. And so right in the midst of Herod's closest social circle is a Christian, a church leader. And then the last person mentioned is Saul, who will soon become Paul, who we're more familiar with. And all of these men, friends, are prophets and teachers. We thought again about those gifts last Lord's Day. And so the church in Antioch was a church gifted with encouragers, with prophets, with teachers and preachers. Barnabas goes and gets Saul. These other men are playing their part as well. And the church in Antioch grows. Through prophecy, through teaching, through preaching, through the using of gifts... And those gifts are developed and put to good use, good use so that the church can be built up, firmly established, and eventually able to send people out to plant another church. And so in some ways, this, this final sermon of our series is, is really tying together all the themes that we've thought about for the last number of weeks. Antioch clearly would have been a welcoming church People of all different nationalities, skin colours, religious backgrounds are welcomed and through faith in Christ and repentance of sin, they have a place to belong. They were also a caring church. We'll consider a particular example of that in just a moment. But we'll see that having been cared for by Jerusalem, this church then is eager to care for Jerusalem when the opportunity arises. They were a witnessing church, as we were thinking about this morning, proclaiming the gospel in their big, busy, bustling, idolatrous city. And we see here that they're a serving church, people discovering their gifts, putting them to good use. In particular, God graciously provided Antioch with gifted leaders, preachers, prophets, elders to develop the work. And as I've been mentioning already in the last few weeks, this is a major prayer point for us, friends, in the months ahead in Dremore. Uh, quite simply, we need leaders. We need more elders and we need more deacons. That's the biblical pattern for churches to flourish. Uh, not under one man, but under several who pastor and serve and encourage and lead the church. And as that happens, we hope and pray God will bless God will put gifts to use. 
God will use those gifts to establish the church. And then perhaps as he, ha- as he gives us opportunity, he will equip us to preach the gospel and to plant churches elsewhere. And that leads us on to the last thing to notice about the church in Antioch. Not only was it a church providentially planted, not only was it a church that was good at using their gifts, but thirdly and finally, it was a church that was self-sacrificing like her saviour. A church that was self-sacrificing like her saviour. The end of verse 26 says that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And as I said, this This is a word that would have literally meant little Christs. Uh, It was probably a nickname. Some commentators speculate that it was even maybe, uh, 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 it was intended as almost a bit of an insult or, you know, sort of slagging them off. But it was obviously a name that stuck. It's the name by which uh, followers of Christ are best known to this day. It's not a word that's actually used very much at all in the New Testament. It's only used twice in Acts and once elsewhere. Uh, But why were the Antioch Christians called Christians? Well, perhaps it was because they were always speaking about their saviour, as we've been considering. They were just known for always talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But perhaps also, friends, it was because they acted like their saviour. They were self-sacrificing like their saviour. The church of Antioch, like all true churches, was built upon the truth. That Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross for our sin. And belief in that great truth makes Christians eager to sacrifice in whatever small ways we can. Following the example and pattern of our saviour. Look at verse 27. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Now remember, the believers in Antioch are mainly Gentiles. They're not from the Jewish community, most of them anyway. But when the Gentile Christians in Antioch hear that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are facing a famine... They are determined to give whatever they can to help. They don't really think in terms of they're the Jewish Christians, we're the Gentile Christians. They think in terms of they're our brothers and sisters and they need our help. And again, the church of Christ is one church scattered in many places. When one part suffers, the whole body suffers. When one part is in need, the others rally round. Notice they give each according to his ability. Uh, This was voluntary. This was not commanded. This was not demanded. This was generous. This was between each individual and the Lord. Some would have given maybe the equivalent of 500 pounds. Some gave 100 pounds. Some gave a fiver. However much they could give, they did give. So they were self-sacrificing in their giving of resources. But they were also self-sacrificing in their sending of personnel. Look at chapter 13 and verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
We're not told exactly how the Spirit spoke, whether this was audible for everyone to hear or whether he spoke specifically to the leaders, but he certainly spoke clearly. The Holy Spirit specifically commands that Barnabas and Saul be set apart, that they be sent out. Friends, just consider the sacrifice that the Holy Spirit was asking this church to make. Set apart, send away your biggest encourager and your best teacher. Antioch has been growing and thriving, not least through the ministries of Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 11, verse 26, Barnabas brought Saul to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And the teaching of Barnabas and Saul has borne fruit. More leaders have been raised up. More people have joined. The church is flourishing. But now the Antioch church has to say goodbye to Barnabas and Saul. Two men that they no doubt loved dearly. Who had taught and trained and helped so many of them. The church had to let them go. And yet in obedience to God's command, they send them to the mission field. Verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They set them apart and send them off. They sacrifice so that the mission can continue, the gospel can be preached, more churches can be planted. Which of course is exactly what happened if you read on chapters 14 and 15. From day one, friends, Antioch was a mission-minded church. A mission-minded church. It had been planted through faithful evangelism. It had grown through faithful teaching and proclaiming of Christ. And as it matured, it prioritised sacrificial giving to the mission of Christ. Sometimes through sending gifts. Sometimes through sending people. And it can be painful to send people. And you know something, I'm I'm conscious that you know something of this yourselves in the history, the short history of Dromore. People have gone out from here uh, to to plant or to to serve elsewhere, not least uh, the previous pastor. And it can be painful when that happens. One preacher calls this gospel goodbyes. Having to part from loved ones for the sake of mission question is are we are we willing to do that as church members would some of you parents be willing to do that someday if sons or daughters have a desire or are called by the lord to serve further afield are you going to encourage that or would you hinder that would you want to hang on to them a mission-minded church doesn't just try to keep or hoard everything and everyone that god gives A mission-minded church resists the temptation of safety in numbers, hanging on to all its resources. A mission-minded church sends resources out. Notice, friends, it was as the Antioch church was fasting and praying that the Holy Spirit directed them. We today might not hear a voice from heaven or receive the Spirit's direction in whatever way the Spirit directed in Antioch, But if we take time to fast and pray, to give serious thought and care and prayer to what God wants us to do for him here in Dremore or elsewhere, he will direct us. He will show us how we can be self-sacrificing like our Saviour. 
That might mean for some of you leading a ministry or getting involved in an existing ministry for our children or in terms of heading up an outreach work. Might simply mean becoming an encourager like Barnabas. Some of you you might have that gift as we thought last week of exhorting, encouraging. For some of you men, I am hoping and praying that it will mean becoming church leaders. Perhaps it will mean generously supporting work that's going on elsewhere, near or far, as we have opportunity to do. But friends, it might even mean going, or sending, or being sent to preach, to plant. Yes, that will be costly, challenging, difficult. But when God calls us to send and to sacrifice, he's giving us an opportunity to be like him. To follow his example. To reflect some of our God's character. Because to undeserving sinners in an undeserving world, God sent his best, his only son, who sacrificed himself so that we could be saved. Jesus loved his church so much that he died for his church. I hope and pray that as we proclaim that and celebrate that and think about that, that each of us will love our church more. That we will be increasingly eager to serve our church. To welcome each other and others into church life. And perhaps someday play a part in planting more churches so that more people can hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so by God's grace. Amen.